Hey, Ricciotti. Paul Ford, how are you? I'm doing good. My levels are up. I'm excited. I'm ready to have a conversation. I just want to punch you in the head, but I'm not going to do that. You can do that. You can do that after we're done with this podcast. This is uh, my name is Paul Ford. I'm here with Ricciotti. This is Track Changes, the official content marketing podcast of the Postlight Agency. Sponsored content. Rich, what is the Postlight Agency? You've got a new definition you've been working on. It's a digital studio oh. here in New York City where we incubate and build and design incredibly forward-looking things. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. How do I get involved? Contact at postlight.com. Oh, I can't. Let's, let's, let's get on that as soon as possible. In the meantime, let's take a deep breath and talk about aesthetics and technology. Oof. Yeah, it was a rough transition, kind of wasn't it? <laughs> All of a sudden, PBS kicked in. But I'm not actually making... I'm not just throwing that out at random. Uh, okay. Today in the podcast studio, Rich, yes. we have Virginia Heffernan, who has written a book called Magic and Loss, The Internet as Art. And that is published by... Simon Schuster. Hi, Virginia. Hey, Paul Ford. It's nice to have you here. It's wicked good to be here. It's good. Are you promoting this book everywhere? Oh, my God. Including this podcast? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> but I do like the way you say it as sort of a punchline. Like, you say, like, the internet as art, in quotation marks, and also aesthetics. Come on. Who likes the word aesthetics? I'm convinced. I mean, you pulled something off to get them to buy a book with the word aesthetics in the proposal. Oh, yeah. Like, well, was your agent just like, really? I, know, I did a bunch of bait and switch stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. So, in the very beginning beginning, uh, you know, when I was sort of shopping the book, a lot of marketing people asked if I could just put the word science in the title. Oh, yeah. Just why not? Just... Because just sub out art for, well, you... say, science. You're a scientist, really, of With... culture. Uh, <laughs> well, I really do want to start a center, and Google, I'm looking at you to sponsor it, um, called the Google Center for the Literary and Artistic Sciences. Oh, they're really into that. They they're re- really, they're the really, right ones. really are, exactly. Yeah. They'll destroy publishing even faster that way. <laughs> but I don't you feel like if we just call it science, well, we might, it might be a winner? Oh, no, there's like another $2 million if, if, you, you, just if you call say it science. Anything with science. So our listeners are mostly uh, often technologists. And right. so what is the word aesthetics? What does that mean? Um, you know, I think of it as the sensory emotional dimension of life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Porn. Porn is definitely fits in that category. And as your technologists know, porn has always been a driver of technological innovation. Always, always. Uh, Always. Actually, let's get into that because at some level, that was the conventional wisdom up until web 2.0. And then it just turned out that people talking and sharing. Yep. Well, Porn is is a great place to start at when you think about Web 2.0, the like big broadband allowing video and social life online. And, you know, we had the assumption from Avenue Q that the Internet is for porn. Anyone want to sing? No. Okay. No. (laughs) No, but this was actually and this was a real part of. Early internet consensus was that pornography would drive new technologies. Like it required yep. more bandwidth. And, yep. and that, that was always... It like also a, took more risks in terms of the technical pieces they're willing to stitch together. Yeah, to they, could crazy ask, things. they could ask you to upgrade your browser yeah. for a better mm-hmm. pornographic and you'll experience. Do it. Yeah, you'll whereas, empty your bank account and do whereas, it. As like the Washington Post would never do that. Right. And yeah. before that, VHS, um, mm-hmm. finding cheap yep. ways to film things in Santa Monica. And then also like... The stag theaters had, you know, all kinds of like zoning and weird details associated with them so you could get in and out in an almost internet-y way. So you yep. could watch things incognito in the dark mode. alone, alone. Real yep. life incognito mode. But, you know, that well, 2.0, I think instead of saying what is the internet, the question is what is porn? I mean, if youtube was supposed to be all porn it ended up being something else but in a weird way sort of scratched that itch god that's gross but it is you gross, know what but, i mean but but how so like how does youtube scratch the itch we thought the internet was going to be all porn yeah it turns out it's just partially porn it's more netflix than it's porn well i think it, it is by certain that. measures it is all porn yeah sure. well see i'm glad to hear that because people in their bedrooms using webcams Doing things that we don't usually get to see, and we watch it alone, and often have an emotional and physical reaction to it. So, you know, arousal, a friend of mine writes romance novels, and she sees her goal as to promote an emotional, physiological reaction on every page. Ideally, tears 
because the novels are super sentimental and they're for women or, you know, physical sexual arousal. And her books aren't porn, you know, they're not classified sure. as porn. But those videos are, you know, you wince, you flinch, you lean forward, you yeah. interact, you know. So we went straight to video. Yeah. Right. Which almost kind of makes sense. As I read through the book, and we'll give more information on how to purchase and get more book-related content as we go through this podcast, right? We yep. want to do that, right? That's right. That sure. Makes everybody happy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but as I went through the book, what I saw was that you're a textual person. Yeah, that's right. Deep I mean, down, I'm a writer. I mean, you're a writer. Like, what's the potted history here? It's you went to college. <laughs> potted. I went to college. I, I gave college a try down at the University of Virginia. And then I went to graduate school straight out of it. I just, you know, got had got in my head that my dad's career path was the only one I could think of. I wasn't creative enough to think outside it. So you came from an academic family. I came from an academic family. He did English. I thought it was a rebellion because he had done the romantics. So I thought I'd do American as a super oh, rebellion. Well, this is what it's like. I, yeah. What are we going to do with this child? <laughs> I know exactly. She's lost to us. Um, and um, and I I melted down there. I mean, I have to be honest. I it was like warlocky games and cloak and dagger stuff and uh, the social was brutal. I just couldn't get it together. And uh, so I failed my general exams mm -hmm. and was told that my manner made me difficult to test and also difficult to interrupt. So be warned, you two. Ooh. Wow. And um, so, so I insisted that I get to take it two weeks later and I came in and took it like a robot because I was 23. So I just was very easy to interrupt very easy to interrupt. So short answers to the point. It was a reading test, passed, but moved to New York for a while, then went back to graduate school on the grounds that I didn't want an unfinished dissertation, you know, crushing my spirit for the rest of my life. Did the dissertation, moved back to New York and went into journalism. Was your plan more to be more of a critic than a journalist then for a long time? Yeah, yes. And um, somehow I managed to, I mean, bait and switch is sort of the theme of the show to me. I managed to smuggle in criticism as journalism. But you know what? Criticism, you know, when people talk about the stuff that's written online, people are not doing a ton of shoe leather to write online. They're not doing a ton of investigations and enterprise. They're writing criticism. You this know? is this is my life too. People call me a journalist, and I always want to like wave my hands and be like, "Ah, I'm actually an essayist." It's just nobody even knows what that you is. You don't even, yeah, you don't want to yeah. say that. But you, yeah, Paul, you're not walking out there going, "Isn't it true, Mr. Mayor, that on you know 2000 and in 2003?" <laughs> no, when they make with me with a notepad, when they make me also, do it, I'm terrible. I hate I'm it so bad. I'm just I mean, like, oh, hi, hi, because uh, I just feel like this whole situation is so forced and uncomfortable. When they say, "I don't want to talk about that," I'm just like, "Oh yeah, no, 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 to no harm, no totally foul." Like, fine. See ya. yeah, yeah, whatever you want to. Tell me it's fine. Yeah. Like, I just want to, at that point when they make me go talk to them, I'm like, well, let's just do a press release then. Like, let's, I want them to be, I want them to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's and then you write about their hat because, yeah. you know, you got nothing else. Well, that's, they, they require that. All right. So, <laughs> you have managed to write, this is a work of, of criticism. Like, you, you reference, like, I'm going to be real nerdy for a minute, but like, Auerbach's mimesis and so on. Like, this is yeah. in that vein. Like, this is the, like, hey, here's a way to look at a big thing in our world. Yeah. And the essays are, I think, the, New York Times in their review called me a gleeful trickster and you know like my glee I felt know, good right these are tears of a clown like let's not pretend that I'm in glee all the time but you know that's how I hope it comes across the writing is always very playful though I like to you'll pull the rug play. out I like to play yeah I, shit you can write you know I gotta say if, if we weren't doing this I would have read a few pages of this and, and I would have just started demonizing you and and framing you as this elitist who studied in weird places that I wasn't allowed to go to and this rationalized is... why this person can write. Like, well, it's, see, it's, my it's, response to that it's... is that sounds like misogyny to me. I, <laughs> I call misogyny on anything. <laughs> if someone doesn't like me, they like a girl better, another girl better, misogyny. But you know what's tricky is is that you do play. I think that's that's what I, I was throwing me off. I thought it was going to go down the path of like, am I reading foreign policy? But then it gets fun all of a sudden. Mm. This is... It took me a while to figure this out about you too, which is just like every now and then you'll just you'll drop some names like a graduate seminar, mm. and then the next paragraph is yeah, like let's, exactly let's you know that monkey was pretty funny. His Angry Birds, <laughs> yeah, I know. The Angry yeah. Birds bit was great. I was like, like just writer to writer because I screenshotted it off my Kindle. I bought this book 
Nice. Yeah, because I'm just, you know, you got to. You have to buy all the books. Thank you. You keep dropping Thank that you. you bought a Kindle book. I haven't You're said gonna... it. It's important. It's important. <laughs> People need to know that when they have friends who are writers, everyone's like, oh, you published your book. You, the, the way to appreciate that is to purchase the book. Oh, my God. The purchase is just so <laughs> wonderful. Like, that's all you want to hear, right? Because, like, people don't know. Like, the numbers are not huge on books. And so, like, literally when your friends are like, I bought your book, yeah. you're like, okay, that publisher's going to see that. Like, that moves the needle. It does. Yeah, it's so yeah. ridiculous. And yeah. so, uh, but the Angry Birds was great because suddenly you're like, my babies. Yes. <laughs> they took the, the, the pigs, pigs. The snorting pigs. They take took your my babies. babies. Come on. They really got you with that. Yeah, fury. Um, and I got in touch with anger through Angry Birds. I can't help but mention, I was on the global leaderboard. In the I'm top glad thousands, you mentioned it because it was know. going to come up for me too. Top 1,000 leaderboard Angry Birds. Yeah, Seriously? I can. Yeah. yeah. Over I mean, 36 billion to... people were playing this game. You were top 1,000. I was pretty early, and I'm not sure. Yeah, it was over 36 billion is exactly right. So top 1,000. I can <laughs> sign stuff or whatever if you have like a picture so, of a pig or a bird. Did you have an overarching strategy? In <laughs> Angry Birds. Yeah. Did um, you dream it? Um, I, oh, I definitely dreamt it. And I still, the motor memory is still, like, it's still hard your, to the, uh, pop the, up a, an iPad and not start rubbing it, you know? People can't hear, but your hands are moving as you're telling me this. Oh, my yeah, God, yeah, it's yeah, starting. You're, you're playing yeah. Angry Birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to pretend it's like playing the piano. I mean, sometimes it's a stretch to call all this stuff art, but I still do. But you had an amazing experience with Angry Birds. Yeah, there was something super powerful. I mean, it was kind of the first way I got used to the oleophobic. I love that expression. I don't um, know that expression. It means like, you know, resistant to oil. Oh. Um, you know, iPad screen mm -hmm. and the way that especially Apple products love to sort of deny the body. I mean, I don't want to get too into it, but in old keyboards, certainly in BlackBerry keyboards, those things get gross because mm -hmm. you're mixing your body with the keys a uh, lot. Remember those, you know? those white Apple keyboards that were plastic and kind of chunky and they had that clear plastic and then all the like dander from your body would pour into them. It was really bad. It was really bad. The design and got so messed up. You got the feeling that like antiseptic Apple was just like people are revolting. Like oh, they, they just are. Johnny Ive thinks people are just horrible. Yeah. Because you have to like scrub down to go into the design lab. Yeah. Like I bet there's like a like a pumice stone that they take to your entire body before you can touch. <laughs> yeah, a, that's, a right. that's right. That's right. Um this sounds like just trivial and Apple bashing, but I think it's significant. You know, the the internet is like this immortal godlike Johnny Ive like space and there's a lot to the body and the decay of the material world that is shoved out of it, you know? And we have an idea, at least, that the internet lasts forever and that it's like art longus. What's that expression? Art longus. Art longus vita brevis. Nice. Check it out. Like with the What Latin. is this? Art is longus, forever, <laughs> lasts a long time, life is short. Right. So, you know. Which is what artists tell themselves to justify not making any money. Yes, that's right. We're doing something higher than commerce. Yes. But, yeah, bigger than commerce. But, you know, like you start talking about everything being up there and lasting forever, you know, and getting super platonic on it. And that just like kindles a desire, at least in me, to be just down here like the dying animals we all are. Well, and, and actually when you see Apple is now dealing with the body with like they're, they put in a health kit and yeah. suddenly they can track your, your running and so on and so yeah. forth. And then they got in trouble because they were really they were late on menstruation, which actually is complicated. But like, yeah, no, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they didn't. Title of podcast. Late, late on, on menstruation. <laughs> Our period is late from Apple. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no. And, and people were like, well, where the hell is this? Like, why can't I track this, too? And all the regular body stuff. Which is funny because you go out to California and they're all like monitoring their bowel movements. Oh well, yeah. Well, what I, I wanted to I wanted to say that I'm not sure Apple gets to the body or anyone gets to the body when you talk about like the Tim Ferriss stuff of like your body throws off all this data. You know that is like on a direct continuum with the Ray Kurzweil you know, project to hack death. They're to... all really into it. And so Tim Ferriss, four hour work week, mm. you know, sort of like the archetypal climb a mountain in cargo pants kind of guy. Circumference of your feces. Just got to keep it up. You know, got to keep measuring keep an that. Eye on that. Keep stuff. an eye on that stuff. And also somehow that leads to female orgasms. Great. I didn't actually know that. Oh, so. yeah. But, you know, these, I guess what we're getting <laughs> Can at. Can you fill the blank in a little there for the listeners? 
The, oh, you connect those dots? Well, there is something in the next one after the four-hour work week. There's a lot of talk of SEO, so like, you know, hacking search engines. And then that somehow leads to, you know, we think that relationships between men and women have something sensory emotional, something aesthetic about them. Oh, no. It's just a question of hacking biology, physiology in the woman to keep her oxytocin levels, et cetera, et cetera. And then she will, you know, moon over you and genuflect before you. Wow. So that's almost like the whole earth catalog gets applied to the pickup artist scene. Like it's just. It's yes, exactly. You're right. The pickup scene is supposed, it's kind of social science light and this is supposedly hard science. You know, it's just like there's this hormone and that hormone. I mean, hormones are like bodily humors anyway. So, but the reason that this is significant is, and I know your your listeners are um, technologists, but technologists are trippy people. They are not like science writers towing the line on, you know, whatever their thing is. In general, they're far is. more new age than humanities type. I can't even. Oh, well, do you draw a big distinction? Uh, like Jobs, not, Jobs said he was a humanities person at heart. But then what is that Buddhist body stuff that he did. I mean, he said so many things, too. Like mm. he, he, Let's not key off him. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Fair enough. He, <sighs> as like far it. as technologists go. I think. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Good call. He was alien. Who, who would you call, like, a respected technologist whose views we can kind of parse? Who is, like, a, a true expression? Uh, Sergey Brin. Yeah. Like, well, they are, like, at Google, like Jewish progressives, and they definitely are into the like hack death calico project. Yeah, they're like, all about. They don't want death, and they like those. Like, they, do they still wear the sh- uh, shoes with the toes? Techno utopia. I don't know. You know, I'm in Mountain View uh, week after next. Just dropping that. Just look down. Speaking at Google Plus. Just look down. Going to Google. Yeah, it's exciting. You talked at Google with Virginia Heffernan. I will report on it. Does you know that I love to do and ask a lot of not hard questions? Ask them to ask them to raise their feet. I will definitely observe their shoes. I promise, and you'll see it on Twitter. I want medium. I want to count Zuckerberg. Yeah, he's a good expression of it, too. So Zuckerberg, I mean, at least, and, you know, a lot of this is folktales and myth, but he, you know, he wants to meet girls and socialize, and he's a romantic. And he has a romantic idea of what connection means. You know, unless on some level you believe that's cynical, he is just like other people want to meet girls. But it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that's true. And, you know, the way to woo women is with poetry and software. And likes. Neither and of those thumbs are. up. And likes. You know, okay, so Facebook. So None of that is true. Of, of Mark Zuckerberg. Of him, it works, I think, pretty well. I think it worked out okay for him. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, you mean the way the women is yeah. not the software. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, you know, Postlight makes wonderful objects. Yeah, thank and, you. Appreciate um, For it. women and men. Good God. And corporations <laughs> who are really the organisms that are going to survive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean know to bring it down. about that. I just, like, there's so much wonderful pushback on and repurposing of these like dominant softwares that I think is like worth noting. But, you know, I'm biased, you know, I can't help it. I just, I spent, and I don't know if you guys did too, but I spent the seventies and eighties terrified of the nuclear apocalypse. Sure. Of course. And when it didn't, it was that big in Bay Ridge. Was the nuclear bomb big in Bay Ridge? It was big for me in in Pennsylvania. In the seventies? Yeah. What about eighties? Day after all that day, stuff? Oh, day after? Come on. Was you, that the 80s? Day that was after? the early yeah. 80s. Threads? Yeah. yeah. You ever yeah. see Threads? Um, I didn't see Threads. Oof, I'll miss you. That's like the British day after. It's much scarier. Oof. But uh, what you guys didn't see is that I starred in, well, first of all, always disarmament now and, you know, no nukes and stuff, rallies. But as a child, I also starred in a sidewalk production of No Last Flower based on James Thurber's The Last Flower, Whoa. where my brother and I were the last children on earth. Wow. And we also... You still remember it? You oh still God. remember it? Could you perform it now? still remember the uh, the plot of it? I think it might have been mime. I think it might have been mime. But not only that... But How in, old was this? In New Hampshire. 26, 27? <laughs> How old was this? Less children on earth, please. I think we were eight and six. Um, I That's close. Uh, also, in my hippie town in New Hampshire, we had to write letters to and drop off um, then the prime minister of Russia, asking that he designate our town, Hanover, as a target site so we would die in the blast. 
and not the fallout. Wow, this is fun for kids. So this was fun, and mutually assured destruction. We were very, you know, convinced that would happen, and so, like the upshot of it was, I was learning about Hiroshima, like exactly how the skin would come off my body when I died in the fallout, and. I wish that I had learned like one thing about ancient Greece. So, you know, I can tell you all the ICBM abbreviations, but it was just this crazy wasted knowledge. And that was like, you know, would have been a nice time to get like a real education. No, it was all about nukes. I remember that. All about nukes. But so like, let's say it's all about um, customer, what's that CRM thing stand for? You know, Salesforce customer resource management or is it, is it relation relationship? Yes. So what if I learned all about that, how like J crew follows me around selling me the same t-shirt everywhere I go. I spent a long time thinking that was a harbinger of the apocalypse. I could have used my brain to learn to crochet in that time. It's true. It's true. So that was my resolution is no more apocalyptic thinking. And that's how you get to me being, you know, a bit of an optimist in the book. Can you crochet? No. See, me neither. It's ICBMs that did it to me. I've actually been looking at it. I've been looking at knitting as a good, I have too, way too much nervous fidget. You know, and... Freud said like the only thing women had ever contributed to the culture, I've said this before, but is braiding and knitting. And uh, That's misogyny. You know what? That actually is misogyny. That's not my knee-jerk thing. No, I think, you know, I think that's, that's actually, pretty harsh. That's actually. Misogyny. On the other hand, it does give a lot of credit to knitting and weaving. You yeah, know? it's true. It's good. And stuff. maybe there's a lot. I mean, I know at least one mathematician that uses crochet to demonstrate something to do with music and math. Oh no, there's actually a pretty good like knitting and coding scene. So there's, maybe well, because f- jacquard looms were the first uh, sort of programmable punch card. There's always been a textile technology punch card scene thing going for since, since the 1700s. So maybe this is like rabid feminism on Freud's part that he identifies the like chief driver of culture as yeah, a. As it, a... It's good, but who's going to publish it? <laughs> it's fine. I'm just like, really? Like, you know, can you? I'm just, I'm going down the list. Like, who's going to take that piece? Yeah. Okay. Like, that's like, a, you know, like that. That's like four paragraphs of Paul's wa- like always pitching, just so you guys just, know. Yeah. Constantly. Surviving. It's all I do. Yeah. It's all I do is pitch all day long. I pitch editors. Pitch, um, pitch, pitch. What are people not asking you? What do you, what is this thing that you've done? You've, you've, so here's what I think you've done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you. As a man, let me tell you yes, what you've exactly. done. Exactly. Splain it out. So I think that. People who know you and have read your stuff until this book may not have been aware of how fully nerdy you've been mm-hmm. and what a subtext it has been to kind of everything you've been doing. And you started messing around with networks and chat and community in the late 70s, late early 70s, 80s. Yeah. yeah. 70s. So this is literally the earliest possible moment for like a tween girl mm-hmm. to show up and start typing into a terminal. Yeah, I think so. And and by the way, I want to give credit to Mandy Davidson and Megan Winters for also being there with me. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, we were the like braided barrette answer to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak or whoever or John Perry Barlow. So, and it's just these three girls in New Hampshire who were like, "That looks cool." Um, we thought that looks cool. We thought the Cisprogs were, you know, at Dartmouth were, at Dartmouth College, where John Kameny, who wrote Basic or co-wrote Basic, had come to be the president and um, save us from our like colonial ski town that was literally luddite in the sense that we had wood stoves and we put like colonial stuff on our doors and. Um, you know, we're like the colonial Williamsburg. Wasn't that just the seventies though? Everyone was like, Oh, we, we might as well just go back to that. It's over anyway. Yeah. And then suddenly we're like, Oh God, wood smoke. This is not good. No. And but, Re- Reagan gets elected and suddenly. That's yeah. right. But so Kameny came, he put a giant, you know, sighing, heaving, rattling, uh, mainframe in the middle of town and agreed to teach the school children basic. We learned basic and I took the road, you know, I don't even know if not traveled, just, just just like the foolish road of not learning to code like you guys did, but just getting on pretending to code for a minute and a half using basic, which probably doesn't even count. And then instantly got into the chat side of things, the avatar creation and the fantasy game, the D&D style game that we called Excalibur, because why not? And this is what year? 79, 80, 81. Finally, my friend's called it computer dating and uh started singing desperado and join it mm-hmm. when i walked around we don't have the rights and you know that you know that um 
burning, burning, burning feeling you have when you're teased and you're 11? Like, just like fall down to the center of the earth. I can't go on. When I first heard Hallie sing Desperado to me, I just was like, I'm going to freaking change my ways. Like, there is no question I'm going back anywhere near that poisoned thing that's going to wreck my life. So I went off for a long time. And then when it resurfaced in CompuServe, I told myself I had to be really careful. The desperado side was going to come back if I wasn't careful. And, uh, you know, I was pretty careful for a while. But you guys know this. You just see networked computing and something in you trips and you just, you know. Yeah, you got you to figure out how that go. works. You can't let it go. I used to hide the computer manuals in my life as a kid. Oh, yeah. And uh, the other thing is that I didn't learn to program until I was pretty far into my 20s. Oh, wow. Because I was like, that's too nerdy. I also refused to learn to read as a kid. And right. I was like, I'll, I'll learn to read when I'm six. That's when you're supposed to do it. Right. Cause, uh, or else your parents talk about it too much. Yeah. It's just whatever. like, no, I don't want to do that yet. Yeah. You know, I think people whose brains picked up uh, and, you know, I'm just guessing and I love pushback from the listeners, but I think people who learn to code or read early don't learn to learn. You know, like my daughter learned, you know, when she was six, basically, and my son learned super early. So he just thought, and people would have this with code, like he just thought his brain kind of found it and he yeah. never real. And then he was like, why doesn't it. soccer come to me like this? Mm. You know, and, you know, and it's the signature act of education to learn to read. And if you don't like even have any idea of the of the building blocks of it, you just think it's a, you know, comes to you through revealed religion, then it sets you back on other process of learning. Maybe, maybe. Are, are you learning anything right now? Oh, you know, I have really embraced very much against my nature, anti-abstraction and material culture. So I am trying, for instance, to not use a GPS. I'm perpetually disoriented. I'm trying analog tools like, you know, the Navy is for fear of cyber attacks training on sextants again and compasses and so on. And it's even celestial navigation. So I'm trying for once to just like look around me at 3D objects and like actually sit in a room with flesh and blood people. And, and this uh, is to like find a building in Midtown. How is this working? Uh, you know, I'm going to su- fault you for an anti-handicap thing because I really do have topographical disorientation disorder, whatever. And I get lost in familiar places, definitely lost on the grid in Manhattan. I mean, come on. That's like all of us do that. Anything below 14th Street. Oh, no, I'm talking about the grid. Like, I get I get bad with, like, Madison and Lexington and all those. Those really throw me off. They throw me off. And oh, words yeah, instead of numbers. Yeah, and then also, like, where <laughs> is Broadway at any given time? And I was one of those who was just like, okay, as long as my true south is there in the form of the late lamented Twin Towers, I can find my way. And We've then, got the new one like, now. We've got One World Trade. True, it works. true, true. It does? Okay. So, But the point is I'm trying to look up because... There's like a couple square inches of space that like attract my attention a lot, namely my mobile phone. And I just I've been looking at that thing too much. You How know? did you first learn to navigate New York City? Ooh, um, I looked at maps and I got to for some reason, the Upper West Side, I would like recite to myself Amsterdam, Amsterdam and so on, whatever else, Columbus, Riverside. <laughs> And uh, so that I knew. And then, oh, uh, taxis. I still think it's glamorous to ride in taxis. And I still have a fantasy that someday I could get in a taxi and be like, 21 club, please. Yeah, You know, and step on it. It's doable. Um, But the guy would be like, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you you grew up in Bay Ridge. Yes. How did you perceive the larger city? When did you start to become aware of it? You know, it's funny. There was a a murder on 86th Street that was on the cover of the Post. Hmm like 30 years ago. And I thought it was 86th Street in Bay Ridge. In Which Bay is Ridge. where you live. <laughs> Which is where I lived. Yeah. I lived off 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge. So yeah, like, Manhattan. Yeah, that wouldn't have even been on the cover of the Post. They, that would no, be like, that's there like, are people dying on Bay Ridge all the time. Yeah, it's, it's like page 36 and like a bulleted <laughs> exactly. list. Yeah. Bay Ridge exactly. is, is uh, Saturday Night Fever territory, right? Well, here's the thing. We emigrated from Lebanon in 77, fleeing the war. Right. So we get here and Saturday Night Fever is exploding. Yeah. Across America. So we think well, that Bay Ridge is the center of America. Right. Because the, there's no cultural context. Like we just like, oh, sh- this the, the biggest movie in the world. Is John Travolta the music's like phenomenal. swinging his hips and walking, you can tell by the way I use my walk, in Bay Ridge? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's walking. The whole oh, thing God. is filmed in Bay Ridge. How great. You're, you're recognizing those streets where the feet are and oh, the yeah. paint store and like, yeah. Oh, and so my family, 
Yeah. There's 18 of us that came over are thinking, oh, they film all movies in Bay Ridge. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> no, no context. And also you were, you were getting used to the like geopolitical phenomenon in that movie of what is it like Latin dancers overtaking Italian dancers or something. Yeah. And now Bay Ridge is like very Middle Eastern. No, it, there is a Middle Eastern strip. There's definitely a, that was, oh, that was rich. He, he did that. He did yeah. that. Yeah. He brought the Lebanon. You just go to where there's other people that have similar bread. You literally got to eat, right? <laughs> oh, similar eat. bread is yeah. so just right. Any day. Yeah. A, give me a signal here you of where <laughs> I need to end up at a Kennedy airport and we'll go there. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I'm glad. You know what I love about the, the focus in this podcast? Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's just la- oh, yeah. laser-like. Yeah, I mean, we got a yeah, set yeah. of bullets we, we here. just keep it on the board. You guys are men. I do want to come back to you. So you're very linear. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I do want to come back to your desire to get out of your phone. I think that's interesting, and I think it's... Yeah. Why? Um, I am a phenomenology. I like how things seem and am, you know, a little less adept at sorting out how they are. And so suddenly I got a small amount of distance from my phone screen, just the phone screen, and was like, this is a very boring thing to be looking into all the time. Hmm. You know, just the way that the uh, the way the apps line up. I mean, just why should that take my visual field for hmm. so much of the day? Just yeah. the visual part. I, I don't think it's hurting my attention span. I, I just, I, there's nothing I should stare at that long. Yeah. And then I read about some um, younger than me people in in Northern California, of all places, who had decided that they wanted to get over their Facebook addiction. I was surprised they were addicted to Facebook. And so they put a li- they had LSD breakfasts, a little microdose of LSD in the morning subcutaneously, not recommending it. But they found that they lost complete interest in their boring phones because the faces of people on the bus were just so interesting. And aren't they like I'm looking at your two faces? We're not doing this over the phone, and you know, just like that texture of your face. Mm. I talked to someone who makes digital humans. You know, he he like reverse aged Brad Pitt for Benjamin Button. Is mm-hmm. that it? And um, he was talking about the way light refracts. I mean, this is turning it into data again. I probably can't go too far from that. But he was talking about the way that light refracts in human pores. Like the reason that they're like really bad at getting skin is that like. The concentration of oil and hair and whatever else in our pores, and this goes back to oleophobia, it's so different in every pore that the light refracts differently from every single pore in every single face. So you have like infinite number of angles that the light comes out. You don't know. It's coming. It's iOS 11. Yeah. They're going to do that. Pore support. Has pore support. <laughs> Poor port. Poor, poor, Rec- poor, poor I mean, the resolution to this point, you can't see the pixels. Where else do you go? You go to the pores. Well, I will say that the people who do this digital humans thing are alert to it and have tried to do CGI with it and can begin to simulate the I, face. I mean, we're like five years away from someone standing up on stage and going, with poor kit, your selfies will be, <laughs> yeah. will take into account every single angle of light that goes into your face. Well, I don't think we necessarily want it because I think that you look prettier when it's like barbieified. You know, you want your skin to be like smooth, kind of smooth. Slick. But then, so then the thing was, I looked up from my oleophobic phone into the all oily faces of people around me and was just like, I have one chance on earth and I want to see more, hmm. more oil, frankly, more texture, more. I'm just like looking at your eyebrows. I mean, like there's no, an app that has nothing on your eyebrows, Rich, you know? And it, uh, Angry Birds, they took away your babies. <laughs> <laughs> so how's it going? How long have you been doing it and how's it going? You mean, try, yeah, trying to look up? Um, I think I, ugh, God, the listeners are not going to like this, but I started a sort of meditation mindfulness program maybe four or five years ago. There are good apps, by the way, for meditation. I can say. Oh my God. I believe me. That's where (laughs) I started. And uh, I can now almost do it without the apps. And I, you know, I mean, I know this gets super trippy, but can you picture that painting, the school of Athens, that fresco? It's like all these. Sure. All the philosophers, Mm -hmm. all the Greek philosophers. And in the middle are Plato and Aristotle. And Plato is pointing up where he thinks truth resides in the clouds, let's say. Is that why he's pointing up? He's pointing to the cloud. Uh, yeah. yeah, compacts cloud, the cloud created in an excerpt of Houston. 
And um, Aristotle's pointing down to the earth right here, you know, and like Buddhism makes a nice, at least in its like kind of pop American practices, makes a a nice um, point about attention to the body leads to attention to the like verities and the abstract life that I like so much. So yeah, I guess I did start looking down at the like place where I am right now. And it's probably no surprise that there are Buddhist geeks and there's like the rise of this kind of mindfulness practice has um, mirrored the rise of the web. So it's like we live so much in our heads and more than our heads are sort of like outsourced heads in the internet Mm. that uh, there's something illuminating, enlightening about, you know, just being with your arms and legs. And Are you happier? Yes. It's been a pretty amazing five years in that way. You oh, know? it's been five years. Well, five, yeah, five years. Um, so wow. like maybe this is true of all books, but like the book chronicles like slightly earlier stage in my development, you know, it's like powerful emotions remembered in tranquility. Like I needed to have the tranquility of the, mm-hmm. of the years that followed in order to write it down. Yeah. Paul's laughing at me because he well, knows no, I'm a... quoting Wordsworth and he's just like, you are a but loser. Also, right before I walked in, I was looking at Twitter on my phone, like some sort of animal apparently. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> and there's a quote, J. Robert Lennon, who's a, an author, um, quoted the uh, another author, Lydia Davis. And mm. she, the quote is, I'm assuming it's from a, um, a short story. She reads a book about Zen and she writes down on a piece of paper the eight parts of Buddha's eightfold path and yeah. thinks she might follow it. She sees that it mainly involves doing everything right, which I think is just like, ouch, right? Yeah, like, there's, there's that's hard. Right, there's right, and yeah, the translation is like right speech, right this, right it's that. It's hard. I don't know what I looked for the um, original Pali translation of mindfulness for a column, and mindfulness is sort of this British word. It's like brought by the colonizers in in Sri Lanka and um, a translation of some, you know, this gets kind of silly, but it's a translation of some kind of liturgical dispute that this governor was asked to adjudicate. And he, I think the word was seti, S-E-T-I. And for short, he decided that that's mindfulness, like the British mind the gap kind of thing, or like mind your parents. In fact, it means something closer to something weird, like memory of the present. And it just doesn't parse in like our tense obsessed language. But, you know, sit with the idea of memory of the present and things get pretty good. You know, the lesson here for me is is that not that there has to be a lesson, but what I keep hearing is five years, right? Like you're getting this Mm. stuff, you're doing this work. The Mm -hmm. book is you're you're going like, all right, aesthetics and technology. Can we align these two things? It's a very personal book. Yeah. And that it's the process of years and years and years, which is when you're stepping back from the phone, that's the kind of time frame that you're able to get into. Yeah. I, uh, let's see, I had a BlackBerry when I started. I want, actually, I want to back up. Probably a lot of your listeners, I'm just guessing, guys. And They're girls. all in one large basement. It's but I'm imagining. Seven people. Don't it's, worry oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seven of you, six out of the seven of you may remember those like phosphor screens of the dumb terminals. Maybe you guys do too. Oh, like... no, of our, 100% of our listeners uh, okay. remember those. So yeah. to the seven of you that who remember this, it you know it had this deep space, dark background and these green letters that floated in the middle. And uh, I ha- felt like I had this very sort of deep interaction with it like i just i just would wonder what's back there like is that a black hole is that god is that something threatening and cold or is it like this warm mental space and you know i stared at that screen a long time at least you know probably as much as i look at my phone today i you know just wondering what was out there and in the foreground were these like witty weird cryptic because we had you know fewer than 140 characters to write like get lamp Right. entered cave, you know, in those games. And I mean, I don't know, like, you'd have to be a really serious materialist with like a commitment to the rectitude of the order of the world to not start speculating that something weird was out there. So now, you, Apple, you very... I just want to say that I went from that to an Apple IIe, that, that Zenith Z19 dumb terminal that you dialed in with. And I looked at that Apple interface, the the bitmap, and... I felt like, you know, like I felt like I had had this deep grooved friend who used to talk about a lot of weird shit. And all of a sudden she had had like a really great facelift and, you know, had a lot of makeup on and she was super friendly. And I just would try to bait her back into conversation again about like these, you know, profundities that she'd used to, 
used to like. Nope. She did look beautiful, 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 and she was super friendly, but I just couldn't get back into it. And, you know, I feel like Apple's, like, it's been a steady process of kind of throwing me off off the internet and looking for that depth that I used to see in that old screen somewhere else. Like, hey, the night sky. Well, that's a, that's a, I feel like a basic principle for Apple, which is, look, this is a dangerous place. Let us take care of it. I know what's best for you here. Nanny state, totally. Yeah. So the dangerous place here is the spiritual. That's what they're keeping us out of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I I don't even know. Like they've, they've drawn a curtain so tightly around me. Mm. That I don't even know what's n- not dangerous and not dangerous. But yeah. like, I'm a hacker, right? So I like I like messing with stuff. Yeah. That makes so that makes a- the that community gets very upset about Apple because he can't get in and, and sort of get to the innards of the machine. Yeah. But I also have an appreciation of like clean minimalist design at the same time. So there's mm-hmm. a part of me that's like, I respect what you did, Johnny. Yes. I've got bless you. Oh yeah. And then there's a part it's of me that's like, listen chair. to me. I'm an adult. You don't need to freaking give me the children's fork here. Like, I, I can figure this out. I, let not, me play. You're not on Android, though. I just want to say, by the way, that we are not in a clean, minimalist space. And the pushback, the, like, revenge of the, you know, material world is in full effect. So we're sitting here with, like, what looks like a kind of frayed indian I don't know what this is, like, blanket woven in the great spirit of weaving that women invented in a like orange kind of room. There is nothing clean lines about this place. There's like burlap around us right now. It's acoustic properties. This looks like if you want it to be like the opposite of the Apple store. This is not an Apple space, this studio. Yeah. And I think like we are in an age of pushback against that Apple design and it's going to look like Star Trek-y really soon and we're going to be in the 70s and start like letting our hair down, you know? That's so, where we're going to go. We're going to go back to something a little more spiritual, a little more... I think Johnny Ive's going to put his weight back on, I'm hoping, and, uh, you know, not wash his face so often and things will be like, I think spiritual in oh the sense... Oh my God, Apple, Apple He does demo. have a scruffy beard. But that's There's the hope. thing. Oh, are there more, right. are a there, scruffy beard, like carefully be cultivated. Maker culture, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not crazy about my brothers and sisters in Bushwick and their ukuleles, but on the other hand, I Ouch. Paul, laugh into Ouch. the mic uh. so people know you think it's funny. I don't wanna I don't wanna disrupt your flow. No, the laugh <laughs> helps, remember? <laughs> All right. So but they have done a, you know, an ingenious job. I mean, who would have known that foodism and butchering your own meat would you know, come at the time of like almost an apotheosis of digital life. Those two are related. That those two cultural trends are related. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, food is undigitizable, you know, meat and bones so far undigitizable. And like, you just want to dig your hands into it. I will say, I don't think that one is spiritual and the other isn't. That's why I talk about the school of Athens. I mean, you know, and we're being super, I am being super schematic here. So the book, at least I think makes greater sense of this, but well, you can put it down and come back to it. You can pace it out. It's nice that way. It works. <laughs> but, you know, thesis, antithesis. So, like, life's in the cloud. Our brain is in that deep space. We're connected to the uh, almost 6 billion cell phone accounts that, you know, dot the planet Earth. And those are, like, practically unfathomable by our brains. You know, it's, like, it, much bigger than the Alps. You know, it's, like, we are into night sky, outer space, you know, the movie Gravity Territory. Well, you make the point that, like, you, you, it's not just that there's too much to read. You basically define yourself by, like, what you're not reading. Yeah. I mean, we have this idea that our brains are stunted because this, like, canon of neuroscience that keeps telling us about all the brain damage done by cultural objects, you know, by computers, by whatever, by headphones, by connectivity. We believe we're stunted because who wouldn't believe they were stunted in the face of this like There's monstrous so godlike thing? Yes, it's, it's official. But like even Faust response, can't know as much as Google. Your response is to go get a sextant. Yes, I mean, I fear, I fear my incompetence and also my, you know what, my lack of connect. I mean, a compass. You just look at a compass. Isn't it pointing to like some magnetized part of the poles? You know, it took me a while to be like, well, this code looks magic. This app looks magic. But then I like, you know, saw a compass and was just like, this is magic. Also magic. Also magic. The poles of the earth exert such a magnetic pull. Is this right? That the compass thing like <laughs> quivers in relation to them in right here in, in, in wherever we are in Manhattan and the city. All right. So our technologists listening, they go out and they buy this book and there's going to be a lot of culture in it for them. 
There's a lot of culture. There is. I mean, I think that there are more people than we give the world credit for who at least are STEAM people, where the A is for arts, you know, as there are STEM people. I mean, I just sat down with a bunch of uh, chemists, Harvard chemists, and wow, do they have way out beliefs. I mean, one sure. of them says he does all his chemistry for the greater glory of God, ad melior gloria deum. And, uh, you know, I didn't meet an atheist really, among them. You could stretch out that deum. Deum. Yeah, that would work really well. Yeah. Okay. We're uh, doing a lot of Latin. But yes, so there are things that can trip you up and irritate you, if you, especially if you don't like the mention of Jacques Derrida and you just, like, want to close the book. Or God. That's the other oh, one. Oh, or, might, yeah. yeah, God is always annoying. They, um, might, be, they might be mixed on him. Um, what, do, what do they do? If but I'm just a, get back to that time where you were just, like, tripping out in college and wondering like what else is out there before you buttoned up because we are all our late night sessions on the internet do not look rational like look at those autofill google searches it's like why am i so lonely does god hate me you know the questions are not like how tall is the empire state building all right so i build web services for a living i go and i read this very impressive book what do i do next i go to a museum i go to church what do i do I think, you know, I want to tell me how to live my life. I want to improve your relationship with the internet. I really do. So, like, we call the likes and the hearts trivial. We, you know, all think they're stupid. On the other hand, like, there is just like a world of support out there for you. Like, getting a Facebook birthday wish feels good, you know? And you probably heart and star and like stuff and, you know, shouldn't think of that as a small thing. I mean, there are 10 people on Instagram who like a photo of my daughter. Like, what's to hate about that, you know? The other thing is, it isn't life. Like, life is right here, as Aristotle said. So, like, so you know, like, a bad day on Twitter is not a bad day. I've gotten pummeled on Twitter before and, like, managed to stay at the beach the whole day and missed, you know, let page 88, my Twitter avatar, my Twitter handle... Take that sniper fire for That's me. That's true. That at sign was getting beat up and you were like at the beach. Yeah, no. exactly. It's like Philip Roth made a character called Philip Roth or, you know, you play these characters on TV on in this in this game. And by the way, play as much or as little as you want. Like there's no obligation to post pictures of rompers on Pinterest if you don't want to. Get off the networks you don't like. Snapchat I'm a fail at Snapchat. Let's face it. I don't really understand it. I'm not doing it very well. And just clear off that thing. And then also research. Like, since it was one of the first Web 1.0 things that we could look stuff up, we forget how amazing that is. Like, you think you go down rabbit holes of, like, what's my ex-boyfriend doing? No, go down a rabbit hole of, like, where do wild horses live and how can I help them? You know? That's probably much more productive. I mean, it's amazing to see these videos of wild horses, I got to say. What do you learn about wild horses? Well, one of them was this pack... Okay. You just watch them. You just like watch them run. I'm off gonna into the make distance. myself cry. No, they live in. They like travel in these packs in Montana. And in one case, there's a single mom. Like her, what are they? A boyfriend person has like run out on her, and she's got a little foal. So another guy tries to come to help her, and he like becomes the stepdad. But here's the thing: the kid is like can't really get to his feet. The little ho- the horse is having trouble getting to his feet. So the alpha male of the whole thing comes over and in a flash puts him out of his misery i.e kills him how does a horse kill a foal it like picks him up and smashes him to the ground and there's like the stepfather and the mother are like in mourning very briefly and then they recover it is paul you have tears in your eyes it's a very very sad story it's a super powerful story i mean i where was where was this youtube um, this was it, a dream. It, it originally was on Nature, the Nature Channel, and then there's a piece of it on, on YouTube. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Oof, I didn't mean to get happy. No, I, I no. think that we're there's really nothing to add to that. That's that's it. Yeah. That's exactly the right place to tell people about how to buy your book <laughs> so that they can complete this experience. It's a powerful emotional experience, and do, we have to stop hating ourselves for loving it. Do people still go to bookstores? Yeah, I mean, bookstores are another thing making a comeback. They're social places. They're social places. Like, we like spines of books. We like dust. We like the mold of bindings. You know, Johnny Ive doesn't like that we like it, but that's okay. We like it anyway. And yeah. It's okay to want things that Apple doesn't want for us. That's right. It is okay to. I feel that we've forgotten that as a culture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. And they, you know, they told us what to like. But, you know, Tim Cook isn't, he isn't as. 
charismatic. So no. I'm, you know, so I have a little more of my personality. It's back. waning. My kids were born the week that Steve Jobs died, and it was this sense of total relief that I couldn't connect to the story. I was just like, that's not important to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I was just like, I'm just going to deal with these twins. I love that. And it was real life. I was changing that first diaper, and it was just sort of like, yeah, I know everyone's upset, but mm. here we go. Yep. That stuff. Wonderful. We got life to live. So Virginia Heffernan has written a book called Magic and Loss from the good people at Simon and Schuster. Simon and Schuster. You can purchase it wherever books are sold. I mean, you might go to Amazon. It's, I, oh, by the way, just one quick thing. I can tell anyone how to make a bestseller now. How? You get cross-listed in aesthetics, telecom and sensors, and internet groupware. You are the only book listed in those, so you are the number one book listed in those You categories. are the number one in that category. Internet Aesthetics, groupware. Internet groupware, an Amazon category, and telecommunication and sensors. That's with an S. Can Boom. you imagine what they expected from internet groupware? And it wasn't this. No. Internet no. groupware and aesthetics. The book has a really nice sort of bubbly cover. It's very yeah. tactile. And digitizable. I don't know how they make it unless it's 3D printing. Yeah. I, I, it no, they, I mean, they have to hit it with a big piece of metal, I think, to make the, the, the bumps come up on I the know. cover. And that meant they had to make a plate. It was That was a, a real surprise from Simon & Schuster. And it was because I'd only seen it, you know, digitally. You, you know who would hate that? Johnny Ive. Oh my God, he it's so true. It looks like a rash. The, the cover is very <laughs> bumpy. He'd hate it. It's like a rash. He'd just be like, what is this eczema? Yeah. Flaws but, but everywhere. But it's actually very pretty to look upon and it feels very nice in your hand. Like, yeah. You don't want to make people feel that they're going to go to the store and buy a rash. Yeah. yeah. I will say when I saw the cover, I was like, they, there's no need to read the book if you look at this cover. It's really <laughs> beautifully designed by uh, this guy. It Red says Julius. it all. It says it all. Yeah, you're going somewhere looking at the, you know, just you're going into the world of aesthetics and internet groupware. By which I mean, there is every reason to buy a book with this cover. Well, sure. You want that. That's, <laughs> if you put that on the, on your shelves, you're going to, you're going to always have it there to remind you of internet aesthetics and internet groupware. Thank you. Uh, Virginia Heffernan, thank you for coming in and thank being you. our guest here at Track so Changes. We track went changes. everywhere. We went to Bay Ridge. <laughs> it's a good back. place to go. It's a good place to go. Thank you. Guys you guys are great. Thanks a lot. Whoa, Rich. Yikes. That was cool. That's just cool. Just That was just cool to see someone who's like thought it through in a way that I haven't thought it through. You haven't thought it through. Totally. Different, you know. different perspective. Clearly loves and appreciates tech, but also paused and stepped out of it. And sees it as part of something else. Like yeah. Sees it as, as a substrate or as a as an influence rather than as the thing itself, which right. is how we are. Right. So that was uh, great. A lot of fun. Uh, Virginia Heffernan wrote a book called Magic and Loss. Everyone should go buy that book. I'm Paul Ford. Rich Ciotti. You've been listening to Track Changes, the official Postlight podcast. Postlight is a digital studio. And if you need anything, you can get in touch with us at contact at postlight.com. We'll see you soon. Bye.